Well, thank you, Brother Morford, and, and uh, I'm so happy to see all of you here tonight. And uh, <clears throat> I didn't know who all was, how many was going to make it, but uh, thank you. And let me say thank you to those of you, and, and I know Alex, you were directly involved, Larry was involved, and Jimmy was involved, and others of you were directly involved in uh, putting that on last night for the young people. Young people need your attention. They really do. The world's going to give them attention. And you better. If you're going to keep your young people, young lives matter. Okay? Young lives matter. And uh, they are the church for tomorrow. And um, uh, I, just, I just feel like uh, it's, it's so important that young people are given attention <clears throat> and I thank God for the help that He gave us in the service last night. So I prayed for the young people today who came last night here at the altar and, and uh, prayed and, and um, said a yes to God. And I don't know what all they were saying in their heart, in their mind, in their lips to God last night. But uh, uh, I just feel like if, if we can get them going in the right direction at a young age, it makes a world of difference for them. You know, uh, there's somebody, as actually it's a relative of mine, that is breaking my heart because of some things that he's gotten involved in and uh, knows so much better, okay? And, uh, but he's already made the statement, he's already made the statement that I just don't know how I can, in other words, I don't know how I can get out of what I've already gotten involved in. And that's what the devil wants to do, see, is get them entangled, entangled. Um, this is a homely you know, way to illustrate it, but back um, it's several, several years ago, uh, there was a deer, uh, a buck back home that got wrapped up in barbed wire, okay? It wasn't hard for the guy to shoot him. He couldn't go, go anywhere. And there was a guy that did shoot him, okay? But he was entangled. And that's exactly what the devil wants to do to every one of us, but especially our young people, until they feel like there's no way they can get out of it. And that's what the devil tells them. And I called, uh, called my relative the other day on the phone. I just told him I'm praying for him. And, uh, but uh, take time for the young people. Thank you. Thank you for giving of your time last night and through the night. And uh, I'm sorry I didn't stay with you the whole night. I just felt a little bit like a failure, but I felt like I needed to get back home and, and get a little bit of shut-eye. But uh, uh, I did enjoy it, by the way. I really did. Uh, I learned some new games. I learned some new games. Knocking those water bottles over. <laughs> Picking up the kernels of corn, candy corn with the straws, Okay. And, uh, oh my, some interesting things that you did last night. That was very good. Very good. Well, I will try not uh, to <clears throat> take that extra hour from you tonight. But I'll say like my father-in-law used to say, I won't preach over two hours and 70 minutes. Is that fair enough, right? Okay. But, uh, no, actually, I feel like the Lord is directing us a different way tonight. Uh, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Psalms, the 25th Psalm.
I'm going to read the entire psalm. It is 22 verses long. And uh, when you've found it and you feel like you can stand for that reading of the entire psalm, would you stand please? The psalmist David begins by saying, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, and teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. And his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, And forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many. They hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. That's a wonderful verse. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight that we can be together for this Saturday night of revival. We thank you, Lord, for each one that has come. We know there are those that are weary and uh, tired, but we're asking, O Lord, that you will help us in these next few moments as we endeavor to convey what we feel you have impressed upon our heart for tonight. Lord, may uh, all of us of receive uh, help and uh, as we give consideration to the points that we feel like you want us to share and we'll praise thee in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The psalmist here in this 25th Psalm, various places throughout the Psalm, especially there in verses four and five, He says, show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truths, and teach me. 
And in verse 9, he says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. Verse 12, the psalmist says, uh, What is man, I'm sorry, what man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. And then verse 21, Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. The psalmist was reaching out and saying, Oh God, I want your direction. Tonight, I'm going to give you some tests for right and wrong. This is not a test that you're going to be graded on, all right? Because I use that word test. But, you know, there are some things that we face in our walk with God and we say, is this right or is it not? I face that. And I say, Lord, is this right? Is this good or is it not? And I would like to give you some nine different tests tonight. Now, that sounds like a long message. <laughs> Two hours and 70 minutes, okay? <laughs> but uh, uh, really, I don't feel like it's going to be that long. But nine different tests that we can put this particular thing, whatever it is, to a test to determine is it right or is it wrong. So let's begin. Number one, the personal test. The personal test. Will doing this make me be a better, or if there is such a thing as a worse Christian, will doing this make me be better, or will it make me worse? You know, one of the things that it's hard for Americans to accept is take responsibility for their actions. You remember the story of the woman that drove through the drive-thru at McDonald's and put the cup of coffee between her legs and hit the brakes harder than she should have and spilled the coffee on herself and then was going to, going to uh, uh, sue uh, McDonald's because the coffee was too hot. She got burned. Isn't that ridiculous? When I was building my house 24, 25 years ago, I bought a box of drywall screws. And we'd, we'd built the house ourselves. I had some help from family and some friends, but uh, I bought some drywall screws. And it was rather interesting. On the outside, it says, screws may be sharp. Isn't that, isn't that profound? <laughs> screws may be sharp. Well, you want them to be sharp. But we've got to be warned of everything, don't we? Man can't even think for himself anymore. But we need to take responsibility for our actions. So when we're thinking about something, is it right or is it wrong, we need to stop and think and say, okay, is this going to be something good for me? Is it going to make me better? Or is it going to make me worse? Will my love for God, if I do this, will my love for God increase or decrease? Will I draw closer to Him or will I draw farther from Him if I do this? Will I have less time for Him or will I have more time for Him? Okay? A friend of mine who actually goes to our home church there at Beavertown, not a member, but he attends there, he talked to me back several months ago and he said, uh, he said John, he said, I've been offered a new job. And he said, well, I'm really, really thinking about taking it. But he said, it's going to take me out of the area. I'm going to be gone all week. 
And, uh, and I, I looked at him and I called him by name and I said, well, now, do you think this is really good for you and your family? Oh, but John, it's the money. I'm going to receive so much more money and I can use that money. I said, but now, really, seriously, what about the church? You're not going to be here to go to prayer meeting. You're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be gone. What do you think? He said, I really think I know what I ought to do. But boy, he said, it's that money. He said, it just, oh, I just feel like I really need to do it. I said, you had better do what you know you ought to do. It was just a few weeks later. I asked him, I said, uh, did you accept the job? He said, no, I didn't. Well, thank God. Okay. But you know, we need to stop and think, what impact is it going to have on us individually. It may increase the paycheck, but is that really the most important thing? Let's notice also, <clears throat> this is still under point number one. Will I be more spiritual or less spiritual if I, if I do this? Now, um, there are some people that move their families and never take consideration if there's a good holiness church close to where they can put their family in. We sold our family farm here actually two years ago we actually did the initial selling. We closed on it uh, a little better than a year ago. My, uh, my uncle's farm was uh, going up for an uh, auction sale, and uh, there were some Old Order Mennonites. Do you know what Old Order Mennonites are out here? Okay. Back in Pennsylvania, they are horse and buggy Mennonites. They'll drive a tractor, but they won't be on a rubber tire. It's on steel wheels, Okay. But they're horse and buggy Mennonites. And they came to the sale. And they were interested in buying my uncle's farm. My uncle and aunt passed away. And, uh, uh, and the sale date came. And um, our farm, which was adjoining uh, my uncle's farm, uh, was for sale also. And we had just put it in the hands of a realtor just uh, about two months prior to that. And... Uh, one of the things that one of those old order Mennonites said to me, he said, how far is it from here to a certain place? Well, I said, you know, it's about, you know, about 10 miles or so. And he said, well, he said, I'll tell you what's most important to us. How close is the farm going to be to where we worship? They were making a decision because you don't get there in a horse and buggy in 15 minutes, okay, to go 10 miles. <clears throat> they ended up buying that farm. But when they bought that farm, then they came to us and they said, we want to buy your farm too. Well, that was good news for us. And we ended up selling the farm to them. And the family, um, uh, they did not move to my uncle's farm. They rented that farm out. Uh, the house, that is, but they moved to our farm, young couple with a little baby that was just born, and um, they were willing to travel an hour and a half in a buggy to get to church. But what they were most concerned about was, will we have a place, uh, was it going to be close enough for us to go to our place of worship? So the question I ask you tonight, whenever we're thinking of this thing, what impact is it going to have? Is it going to cause us to be more spiritual, less spiritual? Less spiritual? Will it cause my temptations to increase? 
Will it cause my temptations to increase? You know your weaknesses. God knows your weaknesses. Will it cause your temptations to increase? And what impact will it have on my life? Is it worth it? That's the personal test. Number two, the social test. Will doing this influence others to be a better or a worse, again, Christian? I know there's not such a thing as a bad Christian, you understand. But is, uh, will doing this increase others to be a better or a poorer Christian? Whether you realize it or not, you are influencing other individuals. You look to people like us who are in the ministry and you understand that we're influencing people. But you're looking at yourself and say, I don't know that I'm really influencing anyone. They tell us that every person is influencing at least five or six people. But there are many individuals that are influencing a whole lot more. So if you do this, will you be influencing others in a positive way or a negative way? And how is it going to affect your children? Let me tell you something. I thought seriously tonight of preaching on the family. I really did. Let me tell you something. We can't afford to lose our kids. We've got to get them to heaven. I think of Joseph's brother down there in Egypt when he said, How can I go back home to my father Jacob and the lad not be with me? And to you, how can we make it onto the city and our children not go also? Okay? So, Lord, help us to do our best. We are influencing them. Paul said, when we think of influencing other individuals, Paul said, if eating meat offends my brother, what did he say? I will not eat it. Now, just a minute, Brother Zekman. I just think that's a little bit too fanatical. I'd rather not cause somebody to be so influenced by my lack of concern or lack of carefulness until I would lead them in the wrong direction. Cain said, am I my brother's keeper? I believe, I believe that we do have some responsibility, and Paul the Apostle taught us that. Paul said uh, in, first, in 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6, 7, and 8, he says, we behaved not ourselves disorderly. There's a social test. So before you make the decision to do what you're about to do or what you're thinking about and trying to determine is it right or not, what kind of influence am I going to have on somebody else? Number three, the practical test. Will doing this likely bring desirable or undesirable results? One, will it affect my friendships? You know, I want to keep friends. I like friends. I really do. I like people to like me. They don't always like me. Every once in a while, there's one person that doesn't. But, uh, uh, but how will it affect my friendship? And to the young people, not nearly as many here tonight as last night, but how will it hurt my parents? Okay? If I do this, how will it hurt my parents? 
And will I bring a bad name to my family or will I bring a bad name to the church if I do this? Do we really care? I think we should, okay? Will it harm me? Will it harm my body? Will it harm my mind? The things that I'm doing. You know, <clears throat> the images that get put into the mind are so difficult to erase. They're so difficult. I had a student come to me one day after chapel. And he said, Brother Zekman, he said, there are things that I've gotten involved in. And he said, it's on my mind. I see that stuff. And he said, how in the world do I get it out of my mind? Well, I tried to give him some advice. But you know, when we put things in our mind and we put images in our mind, they stick. So we need to put it to the practical test. How will it, will it harm me? Will it harm my body? Will it harm my mind? Will it cause me to develop a habit I will later want to break? Okay. And if, this is another point here, if I share this particular story about brother so-and-so, will it help or will it hurt? Okay. But it's true, brother Zachman. Does everything that's true have to be repeated? When somebody talks to you about brother so-and-so, when you see that brother the very next time, you know what you think of first? Exactly what you've been told. It's the very first thing you think of. And yes, there are things that have happened, and it may be a true story, but is it really wise to be repeating it? Okay? The Scripture says a good name is better than precious ointment. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 7 and verse number, nine, or number 1. So let's put it to the practical test and see whether or not it meets the test before we do thus and so. Number 4. The universal test. Suppose everybody did what you're about to do. Would it be good for the church? Again, would it be good for your family? <clears throat> would have you started a new fad? You students that are in school, would it uh, have an impact upon your school or uh, uh, your, your uh, uh, friends there at school? And dad, what if your son begins doing what you're doing? Okay? I know we say, don't do as I say, but do as I do. Okay? But many times, it's, it's, the, it's the daddy who tells them, but they don't always practice it. The universal test, suppose everybody did what you're doing. Number five, and I am making good time, Okay? So I don't think it'll take the two-hour part, all right? Number five, the scriptural test. Is it expressly forbidden in God's Word? If it is forbidden in God's Word, there should never be a question. Okay? 
We're not trying to find a loophole. We're not trying to find some kind of other explanation of God's Word to give us a license to do this. And again, I've lived long enough to where individuals are now saying, I see it differently than what I used to. You've heard that statement too. So we need to put it to the scriptural test. God never leads in contradiction to His Word. Never. And I believe that the convictions always coincide with God's Word. I believe that. There may be some things that God will speak to me about. And I shared that earlier this week. That's my own personal conviction. But it never goes contrary to God's Word. God's Word is the final authority. So, number five, we put it to the scriptural test and see whether or not it's going to pass. Number six, the stewardship test. Will it involve a waste of God's entrustment to me? I believe that God expects us to be wise economically with both our resources and our time. Do you ever run out of time? Oh my goodness. Time. Time. To waste time is is an awful thing. But uh, the stewardship test, I had a student back a number of years ago that said to me, he said, Brother Zekman, he said, I have got to do something about the computer games I'm involved in because it is taking too much of my time. Now I'm going to talk about something else. Not sin. But what about Facebook? Got to catch up on what everybody's doing all across the holiness movement and beyond. Until, you know, it's amazing how much time goes by when you're looking at all that. I'm a person that likes to read the news. And here just recently, at the end of the week, my phone told me how much screen time I had. I was shocked. I'm telling you the truth. It's on me, okay? I was shocked. I like to read the news. And I like to stay current. And, and, uh, but, you know, depending on what you're involved in, is it a good use of your time or is it cutting into... And then we struggle with having time to have our devotions. Okay, or we pray just a couple of minutes and say, okay, that's all right. But the stewardship test is, will it involve a waste of God's entrustment to me? Being wise economically with our resources and our time. Number eight, the missionary test. Will doing this likely help or hinder the progress of God's work? Will it send a good message or will it help or hinder in the process of winning my neighbor to Jesus Christ? What kind of an impact is it going to have? Will it hinder the advancement of the church? And you might say, but I'm just one person, Brother Zekman, but you are one person. You are one person. Number eight, the character of common sense test. Will doing this, again, 
It's somewhat a bit repeating of what I've already mentioned in one of the points. Will doing this make me stronger or weaker? And will I struggle more with temptation? The common sense, just thinking the thing through, how's this going to impact me? And I come to the last one, the publicity test. Would I be willing for my friends and my family to know about this? Okay. What if it was flashed up on the walls of your... By the way, your church is very pretty. And I mean that. I'm not just saying that. It's very nice. What if it was flashed up there for everybody else to see? What would you think? You still with me? Mm -hmm. The publicity test. Would I be ashamed? Would I want my church family to see what I'm doing? It might be in secret. Because one day, all of this is going to be made public when we get to the judgment and there the books are opened. Somebody said the advantages of sin are very temporary and all the disadvantages of sin last a long time. Let me read that to you again. The advantages of sin are very temporary and all the disadvantages of sin last a long time. We're always going to be faced with new things that come out. It's going to happen. I've read, you know, over the years of things, you know, there were some, you know, we just felt like every... The last invention had already taken place. There's nothing else going to happen. But you know, that's just not true. And we're going to be faced with decisions. We've been faced with decisions in technology over the years. Okay? And I thank God for technology. I really do. But it can be used wisely. Or it can be a detriment to us. And that's why we need to stop and we need to think and put some of these things through the grid work of this, these kind of tests. Is it going to make me better? Is it going to make me worse? What kind of impact is it going to have on my life? How's it going to affect my friends? How's it going to affect my family? How's it going to affect my church? You really think it's important, Brother Zekman? I really do. I wouldn't be preaching it. I really do. And I believe if we put some of the, if we put this into practice, God the Holy Spirit will be faithful. I told you the other night about the, I gave you the illustration of the CB in me, okay? If I went to overrode the check of the Spirit, I wouldn't have gone through the time that I did. And I believe that God will be faithful, just like David in, his, in this psalm. He said, Lord, show me thy path. And if David, the great man of God, cried out and said, Lord, I need to know your path. I need to know your truth. I believe you and I need to do the same. So, let's put it through these tests and um, go home and get some sleep. How about that? Let's stand. Father,
The message that we feel that you laid upon our heart tonight is very, very practical. And we're asking, O oh God, that Thou will help us. There are decisions that we make. There are choices that we make. There are things in which we get involved. Or, Lord, there are things that we choose not to do because we're concerned more about our spiritual standing with Thee, not allowing ourselves to become weak. We think of what Israel, when they wanted a king, and, Lord, You spoke to them and said, finally, after they insisted on having a king, You would give it to them, but it would bring leanness to their soul. And, Lord... There are choices that we can make that will bring leanness to our soul. And Lord, we don't want that to happen. So Lord, help us to be sensitive. Help us to be careful. Help us, Lord God, in our influence with others. And help us to pray as David, show me your way. Show me your paths. Would you let this message linger in our hearts and our minds? Dismiss us with your blessing. Give rest to the people. Give them strength and bring us back in the morning. Trusting for a great service, we'll praise thee in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.